0: Africans have been known for P2P trading of digital currencies from the earliest days of mobile phones. And I believe this is a key part of our culture and how we do things. People come under economic hardships. They start looking for alternatives for commerce. So my thesis really has always been that when people come under a crisis, or when the state has failed, yeah, people start looking for alternative ways of commerce. And I think in the past, it was things like cash and airtime, but today in 2023, the options that exist for people are digital currencies like Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. That's the real story here for me.
1: Welcome
2: to Crypto at Scale. I'm Justin Norman, and in today's episode, my co-host Guera Kiwana and I are exploring Africa's peer-to-peer story. African markets are inherently peer-to-peer. And peer-to-peer markets, whether formal digital marketplaces or informal trading groups on WhatsApp and Telegram, have played an important role in the adoption of crypto across African markets. According to Chainalysis, the transaction volume from peer-to-peer exchanges in sub-Saharan Africa more than doubles the share of the next closest region. And indeed, this peer-to-peer nature of African markets extends beyond just crypto, from community lending to the airtime trading and user behavior that predated formal mobile money. So to tell the peer-to-peer story and to interrogate this dynamic further, we're joined by two guests today, Michael Kimani, the co-founder of PhoneBank, and Emmanuel Babalola, or Babs, the CEO of Bundle and the director of fiat at Binance Africa. If you're enjoying Crypto at Scale, we would really appreciate if you helped us grow the show by hitting subscribe on your favorite podcast app or on YouTube and sharing with a friend or a colleague who you think may enjoy it as well. Crypto at Scale is not investment advice and is for entertainment purposes only.
1: This episode of Crypto at Scale is brought to you by Ripple. Anyone who sent money across borders to or within Africa knows how cumbersome, expensive, and slow the process can be. When it comes to remittances, sub-Saharan Africa remains the most expensive region to send money to. And for businesses, trapped capital, slow settlements, and high failure rates pose major challenges. The current financial infrastructure just doesn't work very well for the modern global economy. Ripple believes that crypto-enabled payments can help. Ripple's payment solution, on-demand liquidity, enables organizations to settle global payments in real time at a fraction of the cost and without tying up working capital and destination accounts. By leveraging the digital asset XRP as a bridge currency, funds can be sent and received in local currency on either side of a transaction. And across Africa, Ripple is partnering with local financial institutions and fintechs to bring the benefits of better cross-border remittances to the region. To learn more and get in contact with the Ripple team, head over to Ripple.com.
2: Michael, I want to start with you and thank you for being here with us today. Can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're building at PhoneBank?
0: Yeah, thanks for having me, guys, on to talk about my favorite subject. My name is Michael Kimani. I'm a co founder of PhoneBank, F O N B N K. PhoneBank is a crypto Web3 on ramp company. We on ramp users from uh, developing markets such as Africa and Latin America into Web3. And we do this in a unique way by enabling them to convert what they have on their phones, prepaid airtime from any one of the carriers into USDC and other crypto. So this is how we are able to unramp a lot of the unbanked and underbanked users in developing markets into
2: the Web3 economy. Thanks, Michael. And Babs, it's good to have you here with us as well. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and what you're working on with Bundle? And I know as the director of Fiat with Binance Africa as well.
3: Yeah, thanks, Justin. I'm pleased to be here. I think from my side, generally been in the industry for close to six to seven years now. And as you mentioned, Binance since 2019, I think our work has really been around just increasing the adoption of crypto across the continent. Back when we started, if you did a meetup, you would have like just two, three people come in in to talk about crypto. Today, reverse is the case, right? Crypto is the mainstream when it comes to like tech in Africa. You can't have a tech conference today without mentioning crypto. In my time, we've basically onboarded over a million people via masterclasses, education initiatives, hackathons into Web3, as we call it today. At we are basically a social payment app for cash and crypto. Our focus is really around building more and more easier ways, basically, for people to access crypto. And we've done this with CashLink. CashLink is the first decentralized peer-to-peer on and off-ramp network. We have over 3,000 mothers and fathers basically helping people on and off-ramp post the crypto ban that we experienced across Africa. today. These guys are basically helping people access crypto in a way that has never been done before. So that's something that we are also very passionate about. At Bundle, we are also bringing in a lot of social components to help people interact even while learning on their crypto journey. That's basically what I'm working on. Thanks, Babs. Where?
4: Cool. Now, so let's get into it. So we'd like to kind of talk about the P2P story of Africa and that really kind of aligns and funnels really nicely into the P2P story of crypto in Africa and really the mainstream adoption of crypto. But let's kind of take a look at the history. So, Michael, you've written a number of pieces on your blog about the early days of airtime currency trading and agent networks and the way that that user behavior, how that's been historically and how it resonates with what we see today. So, Michael, in your words, can you just tell us what is the P2P story? that you saw in the early 2000s with airtime and how does that correlate to what we're seeing now with crypto can you just take us on a bit of a history lesson
0: sure thing I think like in the last 20 years that's when mobile phones have really taken off in Africa and these mobile phones to use these mobile phones you need something known as prepaid airtime it's like call units it's how you pay for services on this mobile phone and this is often forgotten, but this is probably the first type of digital currency that people were accustomed to, yeah? So you had to go to an agent somewhere, take out some cash and buy some a scratch card or a voucher and top up your phone, and then you're able to make phone calls. This is as far back as 2007, 2005, 2010, you know, the early beginnings of what we call the digital economy. And one of the interesting things, the interesting stories i found out from, some of my mentors, who are some of the earliest builders of telcos systems in Africa, is that some interesting phenomenon started occurring when these agents who sell airtime, some people would approach them and request to send money across a remote area. They propose to use airtime, so purchase some airtime. The agent transfers this airtime from a city center into the rural area. And then another agent enables a cash out to a recipient. And this is what's known as a remittance. And this was the earliest beginning of what became to be known as mobile money, what we now consider the biggest payment, digital payment revolution in Africa, mobile money. So airtime, Africans have been known for P2P trading of digital currencies from the earliest days of mobile phones. And I believe this is a key part of our culture and how we do things and if you look at the history for example of if you look at the history of Nigeria during the structural adjustment programs in the late 80s and early 90s we see that when people come under economic hardships they start looking for alternatives ways for commerce so there's a paper written by a couple of authors that documents by Yahaya Hashim, it's known as cross-border trade and the parallel currency markets in West Africa, a case study from Kano, Nigeria. And in in this paper, they outline how people turn to informal currency exchanges when the economy was standing bad and they needed this for cross-border exchanges. So my thesis really has always been that When people come under a crisis or when the state has failed, people start looking for alternative ways of commerce. And I think in the past, it was things like cash and airtime. But today in 2023, the options that exist for people are digital currencies like Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. So I think the real thesis here is how do people maneuver during crisis, during economic hardships, when looking for alternatives? Ways of making payments for the sake of trade and commerce. That's the real story here for me.
3: Yeah, what Michael said, right? Completely agree. I believe that even today, what we are seeing with crypto and the adoption it's getting, even in Nigeria and across Africa, is largely people trying to exit from the current failed financial systems, as it were. That's the whole idea of what we do. That's why people actually use these alternative services. So I just wanted to just um, touch on that as well.
2: Yeah. Thanks, Babson. Based on public blockchain data, we can see your role at Binance and obviously building a social payments app for crypto with Bundle. We can see Binance is doing meaningful peer-to-peer volumes as well. And... I would just be interested if you can speak to a little bit more of what you're seeing from a user behavior perspective, from a peer-to-peer perspective, the sort of uptake in this as a, as a sort of payments method and as a way, as you said, to solve existing problems with the current fiat ecosystems. What sorts of things are you seeing across Bundle and Binance?
3: It's clear that the user behavior is changing. Before now, we had direct channels to banks and PSSPs that allow people to do on-and-off ramps easily, right? And that ushered in, I think, the first, it helped with the first rush of users. I think that was back in 2019, early 2021. After the crypto ban, again, we saw African users revert back to our first nature, which is P2P. P2P is natural to Africans, as Michael you know, had earlier mentioned. So when that ban happened, obviously, we started seeing a lot of innovations around P2P and how people are. Now, I think even if there was a change in regulation in Kenya and Nigeria and all these countries where people can't have direct access for like, you know, crypto exchanges, I think people will still use P2P, even though we have a a direct bank channel. Overall, the behavior has changed. Right. People now feel more comfortable. Trading directly with one another, people now, and even the whole P2P infrastructure across Africa has also improved, right? So it's a lot more safer. It's a lot safer now because the ecosystems, the risk controls, and, and all that has been kind of like built over time. So at the end of the day, we are at a point where P2P is now basically here to stay. So within crypto in Africa, we would hardly ever mention crypto without talking about p2p
4: i like that you've yeah you've mentioned that it's we cannot talk about crypto in africa without talking about p2p but also you know just to bring us back we can't talk about The financial inclusion story in Africa without talking about mobile money, right? And if you go further back, just to reiterate what Michael said, the initial exchange of value that we've seen across the continent and the way that it's been adopted was really with airtime in the beginning, right? So P2P, people sending money to each other via airtime, and then that evolved into mobile money. Some of the architects of mobile money to this day are still in the space, like Dare of MFS Africa. He is one of the architects of mobile money, and he's moved on into evolving payments across the continents. And now, crypto right we've got crypto the, the binance is really writing that story and so is phone bank as well in in really interesting ways so let's let's kind of talk about some of the challenges that we see with p2p so whilst it, we've seen crazy uptake across the continent we still have some challenges that that exist and kind of you know the, everything ranging from trust so we live in you know africa we live in low trust economies so people need to be able to to trust that, I guess counterparty risk in some ways, liquidity. So, is there liquidity in the market? The price stability of various cryptocurrencies. Can you kind of outline some of the challenges that that you see? I guess that we're still really struggling with and grappling with when it comes to P2P, and that are hindering P2P in Africa right now.
3: Yeah, you know, as I mentioned before, obviously we've come a long way, right? But as you said, there are definitely going to still be challenges. Take, for instance, today, P2P markets are taking a hit from like in Nigeria, from like the whole cashless policy going on, where it's a lot more difficult now for people to access cash. And there is huge pressure on the banking system. You know, So everybody is making transfers now, and that's leading to a lot of failures. So today, because P2P is highly dependent on the local banking infrastructure or the local mon- mobile money infrastructure, in Nigeria specifically, because the banking system is having issues today, this is an existing underlying issue because P2P is hugely dependent on the local banking slash mobile money infrastructure. So that's one. There's obviously the second issue of scam, right? Africa is high risk, generally. And that's why, obviously, a lot of these international wallets like PayPal and a couple of other ones restrict certain African countries from accessing their resources and their, their platforms. We still see that in P2P where users get scammed when they try to make a transaction, right? But the core of overtime has greatly reduced. More and more users understand that the whole idea of having an escrow is to guarantee that transaction. So to understand not to release the transaction up until they confirm it in their accounts, right? In fact, we had scams where people were sending fake SMS alerts to people to say, oh, you have received the money when they (laughs) haven't, right? So users are yeah. becoming more aware because of a lot of educational efforts that are being put into getting people to know what are the latest scams, you know how to avoid them, how to protect yourself, those kind of things. so that's that's another issue and then I think a third issue you will see with p two p is for new user onboarding, for bringing in new users into the industry it's a bit it's a bit harder, right? So imagine your first time you're hearing about crypto and you want to buy crypto and then at that point the first thing they're telling you is you know you have to buy from someone you don't know on a p2p platform right so even though they still go ahead to buy and it still obviously works there's that friction there
2: i think that's a perfect segue because what i find interesting and to turn to you michael about phone bank is your unique view on how to on-ramp users into crypto with a specific focus on airtime. And I'm wondering if some of these considerations that Babs is talking about, you know, the difficult UX and the inherent trust or or low trust in in peer-to-peer, and then obviously going fiat to crypto versus airtime to crypto, if those are some of the considerations behind the sort of product design of a phone bank. So what do you think as it relates to challenges for on and off ramp? What do you think about some of these challenges, perhaps through your phone bank lens in particular?
0: Yeah, I'm definitely with Babs on the fact that we have a new technology here which works a bit different. Like, I think the escrow capability of Bitcoin transactions or crypto transactions is really powerful. It's something that doesn't exist in the systems you're used to, such as mobile money or airtime, without requiring some intermediary. But that means also this is a unique kind of service. So we usually have to also go through like training programs for the people who are part of our marketplace, the market makers and the verified market makers. And we've li- recently designed a program known as the Learn to Earn in partnership with the Crypto for Good Fund, Masiko. We are always trying to address this issue of uh, educating them on, on how to use these new technologies. I think you're right about us as phone bank taking a unique approach to unlocking this P2P opportunity. I like to think of phone bank as a micro- Payments marketplace for crypto. So if you go to somewhere like Binance, for example, I think the minimum you can buy there is like ten dollars or higher. And if you look at the volumes there, they are massive. There are people doing volumes of uh, in the thousands of dollars. Yeah. Whereas if you come to somewhere like Phone Bank, it's it's really for micro payments. It's a one dollar micro payment, half a dollar. It's really accessible to anyone who's familiar with airtime. And that has really made our product a bit more relatable. Our product is built on top of a phone number identity and a SIM card. So users don't really have to deal with like a crypto address, a long complex crypto address. So I think UX, as Guerra has mentioned, like I think those types of adjustments are going to help us get to more and more users. You know, I think we're still early. Maybe I wanted to mention a bit about price stability. I think the liquidity of Bitcoin has always been successful because Bitcoin has available liquidity almost everywhere. But as you go down the coin market cap list, the liquidity of, of these tokens becomes scarce. Yeah, But something that has happened is I think the stability of US dollar priced stable coins such as USDC and USDT has really grown. And I think it's because of this price stability element. Yeah, So people are comfortable holding some of their value in dollars because it's going to be the same tomorrow or the day after. And for people like the traders, the market makers, if they are holding these stable coins as inventory, then it's not as volatile and they can hold it for much longer. So I think that's how some of these inherent challenges are being addressed by market forces.
2: I think that's also another great segue, Michael, just thinking about sort of what the future looks like. You know, I'm sort of curious if we're meant to see or we expect to see just a steady increase in peer-to-peer volumes in African markets or if with this sort of perpetual question around user experience, if centralized exchanges or or DEXs are going to chip into payments volumes or even what we should expect or what we want to see in this context, knowing the uniqueness of peer-to-peer as it relates to African markets and user behavior. So Michael, just sticking with you, what do you think The future should look like or ought to look like? Or what do you hope that it looks like as it relates to crypto on and off ramps and onboarding and and the role that peer-to-peer payments plays in all of that? Or just peer-to-peer in general?
0: Yeah, I think I'm really looking at the economic situation across African markets right now. I don't know if I'm the only one who sees this, but to me, it looks like the next three years, three, four years is going to be really tough. Our governments are are under pressure from the rising cost of the dollar. And this trickles down to the common people. Like generally, there's economic hardship everywhere right now. And for me, I think, I think that's bullish for crypto. I think, like we said earlier, when the state fails, when the currency of the state fails, people are going to start looking for options. And right now we have a whole generation that's been on mobile for the last 15 years on smartphones. I think it's only natural that we'll see some of this pressure push people into exploring options. In fact, in, in places like Kenya, the Kenya government is already starting to talk about taxing mobile money transactions. Yeah, And it's, it's really making people to consider options. What are options that are a bit more private? So I think I'm generally bullish. I see the P2P markets are going to grow over time. And I think the economic conditions are going to propel that momentum. Regarding better whether we need better ux better dexes i think for me what i'm seeing is the use cases are missing so what i'm really hoping to see is like web3 takeoff something like web3 gaming i really i'm looking really looking for use cases that can drive people into these blockchain ecosystems whether it's to play games or to some type of activity cuz that's the type of activity that's going to start getting people into crypto without necessarily I'm not trying to speculate on my crypto coin, you know, I'm trying to play a game or something. So I'm really looking for that and that's going to help drive more on ramping into these ecosystems.
2: I think we're not allowed to talk about speculation on this podcast, that's going to be one rule.
4: Yeah, the one rule is we don't talk about the price of Bitcoin. But (laughs) I guess I think we're all in agreement, we're all quite bullish on the future of P2P, the future of crypto on the continent. But then, you know, we've, we've touched on the UX piece and we've touched on this liquidity issues, on off ramp issues, right? Babs, I'm going to come to you. Who do you think is going to be onboarding the next billion users? Is it going to be the centralized exchanges who have already done a pretty good job with this? Are we going to see degen behavior, like people going onto decentralized exchanges? Are we going to see airtime companies or telcos maybe even adopt this? What do you see the future of P2P money movement across the continent looking like? Who is going to be the architect of it?
3: Very good question, from where I stand, I think it will be a healthy mix of of both, right Crypto regulation is becoming more and more a big deal, right, and we're seeing banks yanking off crypto platforms as we've seen like with Silvergate and Signature banks recently. We're seeing the s e c trying to you know get more involved, so things are going to get a lot more structured very soon with crypto and obviously that's a good thing because you can't have mass adoption which is what the question is about without government say so right the government is actually pretty powerful and usually when the government says oh this is good let's use it people tend to use it right so because of regulation mass adoption is definitely going to come and a lot of that will go through set through decentralized platforms however there are are still going to be a huge majority of people who prefer privacy and who want to use decentralized services to do business, right? To trade, to send money, to do exports, to do whatever they want to do. And decentralized platforms are obviously going to be very appealing to them. We have several hybrid projects like Funbank, CashLink, that basically are kind of like a healthy mix of both. So generally, long term, I think that the next billion users from Africa would be kind of like a very good split between DeFi and CFI, right? based off of user preference, right? More P2P is going to play, continue to play a huge role as regards to that future. Well, thanks
2: guys. I think one question that we want to do at the end of every episode or towards the end of every episode is just ask for recommendations. So generally speaking, for our audience, where can people go to learn more about peer-to-peer crypto in Africa? Michael, I'll start with you. Do you have certain recommendations for people to go and learn, maybe not even necessarily about peer-to-peer but crypto in general? Where would you recommend them to go check out?
0: I think for me I'd recommend people go back to history like back in time and explore some of the patterns that have existed in the past around how people exchange money, exchange money during crises and such. So I've seen, I'd recommend like a paper by Peter D. Little who wrote about uh, how Somali people were able to move, Somali traders were able to move trade and money across borders during the war, despite the collapse of the central bank. I think another thing people should look into is how there's lots of stories out there from researchers around how people used airtime during currencies, such as in South Sudan, in Zimbabwe in the Congo. So I think I'd urge people to go back into history and look at how Africans interact with, with money to understand how they might interact with digital currencies like crypto in the
2: future. The one thing we're learning is nothing is new. Yeah. Right? I think a lot of crypto folks are, are learning that the hard way is that it's all the same and it's, it's happened before.
3: Like history is a very, 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 very powerful teacher. Either you learn from experience or you learn from others' you know, experience.
2: Babs, what about you? Where would you recommend people go and learn more about peer-to-peer and just crypto in general?
3: I think one of the things that we've been able to do is really prioritize user education, right? And that's why we've created hundreds of hours of resources for this. So if you want to learn about crypto, check out Binance Academy. You would find very useful information as regards to P2P, as regards to crypto, That would help you on your crypto journey. That's my top recommendation to you. We'll link to all of that in the show notes.
4: Cool. I'll wrap up with my own recommendation. So for those who, you know, I think a lot of our listeners are actually like nerds who are willing to dive into the numbers, I'd recommend looking at Chainalysis. Chainalysis. A report released by them at the end of last year regarding the basically trends that they're seeing in in adoption of crypto. There's an entire section on Africa that is there's, well, on, on the global south, really, but on Africa that that is really fascinating. I think Nigeria and Kenya are in the top twenty for what they call retail payments, which is usually P two P. So it's if anyone is interested, like I'd say dive into that data. I think they have links as well to on chain data as well that you can that is publicly available. So. That, that's my recommendation. But yeah. So that wraps up today's discussion. Thank you so much for joining Justin and I. Where can people find out more about you and what you're up to, Michael? Yeah. So
0: right now I'm working on two projects. I'm with PhoneBank. Uh, they can check us out on fonbn phonebank.com. I think all our links are there to our socials, to our app as well. For myself, you can check me out on pesa underscore Africa on Twitter and I'm working on some projects, some exciting projects in East Africa around uh, community building with the Blockchain Association of Kenya. So I'm always tweeting what I'm working on. Follow me there.
4: Thank you so much. Babs?
3: Yeah, I'm mostly active on Twitter as well. Emmanuel Babs, B-A-B-Z-Z. You can follow me there to catch up on stuff we're working on. Also, Bondo, Bondo is Bondo Africa on Twitter and you know all social media platforms as well. There's Cashlink. Cashlink is basically, as I said earlier, a decentralized on and off-ramp platform that is fully functional in Nigeria, Kenya, and Ghana. So you could also check it out at Cashlink HQ. And also, of course, Binance Africa is part of my key focus now, helping build up building out you know, payment rails across the continent. So that's also something that is very, very interesting. And as you can if you check, if you're based in Cote d'Ivoire, Mali, Senegal, if you check now, you can use some of those channels that that are there to basically deposit and redraw crypto. And then lastly, there is a new initiative coming up called Digital Currency Coalition, made up of basically all the exchanges, operate all the exchange operators in Nigeria. And we are basically trying to expand that across Africa. So maybe Michael will tell you about that later that's something that is also happening as well still early days and yeah that's those are pretty much it